Welcome to the Unabashed Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop RPG. This week, I go solo and insane all over D&D 4th Edition. Everything I hate about it, spoiler, the combat system. Everything that I don't particularly hate about it, spoiler, um, I can't really remember what I said I liked. And I also receive a challenge from David Larkins to talk about a setting or campaign that would work especially well with 4th Edition. Last spoiler, I totally cop out. Uh, Also, campaign pipe dreams. Enjoy. All right. Um, Well, welcome to Unabashed Gaming, episode 29. Uh, You'll notice that, um, well, my name is David Schimpf, and I am soloing tonight because Susan, my uh, usual co-host, has just completed a uh, transport to Kentucky, so we will be Skyping in for our next episode. And, um, well, er, David Larkins, though unable to make it, has uh, has phoned in with a speak pipe in his uh, the erstwhile way that he is. And I don't think anyone wants to be in the same room as me when I jump into what I've been talking about for... 29 episodes now, and that is 4th edition, Dungeons and Dragons. Why I hate it so much, and why I probably shouldn't hate it so much. Oh boy. So, um, I'd like to preface this by apologizing, because I'm going to be swearing quite a lot uh, once I start talking about the combat system, which I will probably be talking about for a significant amount of time, because... D&D 4th edition is pretty much designed around its combat system. Let's not lie to each other. We've built such a rapport for these last 28 episodes, and oh my god, how terrible is the 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons combat? Well, I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start somewhere else. And in fact, I'm going to start at the beginning um, with my first experience with Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition, where... Um, Interestingly enough, this, uh, well, actually, I probably mentioned it before, I started play- role-playing with uh, Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. I was invited to a game by a university friend, and he said, let's play Dungeons & Dragons, and I said yes, because I have always wanted, or I had always wanted to play Dungeons & Dragons, and God help me, I didn't know any better. I don't think he did either, and I don't think he's playing role-playing games anymore, so... You can see how well that treated us. In any case, um, as I just mentioned, D&D is the first... Uh, D&D 4th is the first role-playing game I ever played. Uh, it started out for me um, as uh, a traditional fantasy-style campaign, but I am getting ahead of myself, so let's uh, let's describe what 4th edition is exactly. Um, similar to 3.5, 3rd edition, 2nd edition, and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons... Uh, D&D 4th Edition is an entire overhaul of the D20 mechanic role-playing system. Uh, it was first <laughs> introduced on uh, in 2007, August 15th, where uh, Wizards of the Coast created a countdown page for a product called Ford Venture. Uh, obviously doing the terrible Hollywood thing where they replace letters with numbers because, uh, you know, a new version of something is coming out. Well... It didn't really take too long for people to start being really, really, uh, 
angry at this new edition, uh, partially because, uh, you know, everyone was very invested in 3.5, and it hadn't really been out in public, or 3.5 rather, hadn't really been out in publication for too long before the announcement of 4th edition, which is amusing because 4th edition hadn't really been out for very long before they announced uh, D&D Essentials, and then D&D Next, and I'm not bitter or anything, but I've probably spent way too much money on D&D 4th edition, and I'm going to start, stop talking about that by now. In any case, um, so uh, D&D 4th Edition was released in a series of uh, monthly installments, for starting with the Player's Handbook, then the Monster Manual, then the DMG. Um, uh, let's see, where should I start with uh, what was different in 4th uh, Edition? Well, according to Wikipedia, they completely cut out all, uh, well, not all, but a good portion of the alignment system, where they used to have the, uh, you know, the nine phases of alignment going from uh, chaotic good to, uh, or from lawful good to chaotic evil, and all seven other alignments in between. Uh, D&D reduced the nine to five, uh, completely getting rid of everyone's favorite alignment, uh, chaotic neutral, and just replacing that with unaligned I guess they were trying to merge unaligned or chaotic neutral with true neutral or even neutral good. I don't even know. Um, so all that we were left with is lawful good, good, unaligned, evil, and chaotic evil. Um, so we got rid of lawful neutral, lawful evil, chaotic good, and chaotic neutral, which I don't know. Um, kind of created a bunch of games where no one really wanted to be the uh, jackass who was lawful good, and uh, DMs were still being basically told not to run anything for anyone who wanted to be chaotic evil because those people just wanted to, uh, in what would be described in later years because of the Dark Knight, um, they just want to watch the world burn, which makes them antisocial and not very good at a role-playing table. In any case, uh, that was just the first change of many. Uh, they've modified, in 4th edition, they modified saving throws, defense values, uh, so no longer did you have specific um, saving throws for uh, fortitude, reflex, and will. They were now their own individual defenses that uh, certain types of attacks focused on, uh, which basically made it... Um, so that if you were a player character or a monster that attacked anything other than armor class, you had a serious advantage over anyone who actually attacked armor class. Let's let that soak in for a few seconds in a game that's 90% about combat. I'm not really going to let it soak in for a few seconds. I'm way too interested in moving way past this crap and talking about the gameplay. Ah... <sighs> In any case, um, they introduced the Paragon Epic Tier, uh, removing the concept of uh, prestige classes. Um, they uh, modified the multi-class system so that instead of actually taking levels in classes, you used a multi-class feat to obtain powers from other classes, and oh god, I will talk about that soon. Um, let's see, standardized level-based bonuses... Yes, um, every other level, it was, um, they now had uh, op er, bonuses based off of half of your level. I can't remember if they had this in, um, I don't remember, I don't believe they had this in uh, 3.5 or the natural evolution of 3.5 Pathfinder. They just had the uh, standard base attack bonus increase, etc., etc. Um, rather than that, um, they had uh, level-based bonuses where your skills, attack values, were based off of... Um, 
a, a modifier from one of your statistics and half your level, which if you're counting, that means that every other level you will be getting a plus one to your attack, plus one to your armor class, I believe, um, plus one to all of your skills, etc., etc. basically m creating a, uh, an escalating feature for DMs where you had to um, sort of juggle how to... Uh, to generate uh, difficulty classes because usually you were uh, you're increasing a dc every few sessions and that sort of bookkeeping gets really annoying when you have a variety of characters who are either terrible at everything or good at everything and you need to balance between someone who has a plus five and then another plus five because their skills trained and then has you know 10 or 15 levels of half level bonuses compared to a person who isn't trained and doesn't have that plus five ability bonus yeah it um mechanically created a system where certain characters were super good at some things and certain characters after a certain period of time had passed shouldn't ever try to do anything ever without the potential risk of just dying so yeah that created not really created that modified how you uh, how you designed games where you didn't really want to create too many different types of skill challenges because one person would be doing everything everyone else would just be standing around and um, talking about what magic item they really really hoped they were going to pick up in not too subtle hint hint uh, gestures in the direction of the GM oh the healing system oh fuck the healing system healing surges let's uh, talk about healing surges uh, healing surges were a revision of the healing system where someone had the bright idea that instead of relying on um, items or rest, well, or extended rest, or spells to uh, heal up characters when they were uh, doing badly, they would introduce this wonderful healing surge system where a uh, by using a short rest you could uh, heal one quarter of your hit points in however many increments as you wanted, and they turned healing surges into sort of a uh, its own expendable resource. Um, the problem that that sort of created was that you could still use um, spells to heal people, but those also charged healing surges. And um, yeah, so a it um, it created a system where people could take really serious hits in one combat that would, um, in earlier versions of the game, if you didn't, uh, if someone had expended all their magic, you would, uh, basically not, uh, you know, you would either, you know, stay in the back and the sidelines for the next few combats, or you would try to find a place to rest. Uh, here you sit down for five minutes after being at death's door and you are back to full. Um, which created a system for GMs, kind of a formula where you had to, um, if you were going to create any sort of tension in any combat at all, you basically had to either throw something super powerful at characters so that they couldn't get healing surges off, which basically means that you would have um, a, a boss monster that was capable of one-shotting characters, which creates its own type of drama that isn't very enjoyable for players, or you had to create very long sessions that were designed to a drain players of their uh, of their healing surges so that they felt sort of tense in that last combat, but b at the same time didn't allow them enough uh, leeway between the t between the combats to just um, hole up somewhere and uh, take an extended rest, thereby regaining all of their daily powers and their healing surges and their item uses. And I'm going to talk about that again soon. 
Um, yes. Uh, let's see. I guess one of the complaints people had was that elves were split into three races. Uh, so you had elves, Eladrin, Drow, and um, technically half-elves. I don't really know why that would be a, a bad thing. I kind of The one thing I kind of did enjoy about uh, Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition is that... Um, this was before I even knew that uh, that 3.5 had a variety of, uh, of races to choose from. It kind of introduced in the first player's handbook that there were, like, you know, a bunch of races. You had, uh, you had the standard fantasies, you know, humans, elves, dwarves, and then, um, you know, you also had the Eladrin, and you had the Tieflings, and you had Dragonborn, and I think that might be it. Halflings? Did I ever say halflings? I might have said halflings. In any case... Um, that was something I kind of liked. It um, brought a little bit more of the... Uh, it, it kind of broke the concept of, you know, really rigid um, racial role-playing in the game and kind of introduced a little bit more of a gamification or, um, I guess, kind of a carrot for the MMO crowd who are already used to being able to choose through a variety of races. Uh, so that kind of... I kind of liked that, but at the same time I can understand people being sort of uh, pissed off that... Um, they did have a good variety of races, however, it took, you know, three players' handbooks, plus uh, campaign setting guides, plus uh, monster manuals, to really introduce fully, um, you know, all the races that someone could be in 4th edition. So you really had to spend a lot of money in order to really get all the uh, all the crunch for races. In any case, um, that's pretty much all I really want to talk about with, uh, with changes from 3.5 into 4th edition. Instead, I'm going to jump in into my first uh, experiences with 4th edition, where I already started talking about this, where my first uh, introduction, my first foray, you might say, into 4th edition was a standard fantasy-style campaign where, you know, we uh, we had varieties where we fought goblins and undead and dragons and rival adventures, and that was pretty interesting. Um, obviously, I was, you know, not very well-versed in the role-playing hobby, so that's kind of like all I thought that RB, playing RPGs was, was, uh, you know, uh, going around in various fantasy settings and getting into fights. So that, um, that kind of tinted my, uh, my perception of the hobby for quite a while, actually. Um, I probably didn't play in my first, uh, or I probably didn't play very well in my first uh, Pathfinder game because I didn't create a character that was very good for combat, but at the same time I was expecting combat to happen all the time, so I was really bored in non-combat sections. That's something that's taken me a while to really get around, and luckily I've, uh, oh man, I just ran a game where I think there was one not even fisticuffs combat. Like, people punched a werewolf in the balls. That was actually the most combat that was really in the game was someone punching a werewolf in the nuts. And it worked because, um, well, you'd have to listen to the podcast to find out anyway. So, uh, well, um, my second foray into, uh, into fourth edition was actually after the, uh, after the Pathfinder game where I kind of realized that, yeah, you know, games are kind of supposed to have plot and people are supposed to role play. And so I decided to run a Dark Sun campaign because, um, I think I'd listened to the Penny Arcade, uh, preview of Dark Sun and thought, hey, this sounds really cool. Uh, people are subverting the traditional roles of, uh, you know, regular fantasy races. Uh, everyone's, you know, all different. It's dark. It's dreary. It's kind of like Conan the Barbarian, where everyone's trying to kill you and no one's really very nice. So I kind of wanted to run something grim and dark, and that kind of felt really, 
that felt really proper with the fourth edition rule set, basically because um, you know with uh, with Conan, it's really all about the skill challenges. He's never he's never engaging in you know di- diplomatic talks. He's either raiding tombs or cutting the heads off of giant snakes, or swinging his sword into mirrors to kill a wizard, or killing gods. Very uh, very killing, very killy, you know. Uh, crushing your enemies, seeing them driven before you, and hearing the lamentations of their women. That is how I pretty much tried to run Dark Sun, with a little bit of uh, pathos here and there. And, you know, that's kind of what 4th edition basically hashes out to be for me, and for probably a lot of other people. Uh, well, after uh, after I TPK'd my party in the Dark Sun campaign, I uh, either played in or ran many campaigns of the published variety, which, if you didn't think that Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition was based entirely around combat, well, all you really have to do is look at the published material and realize that all those are are combat encounters and occasionally skill challenges separated by NPCs or the GM basically telling you to go this way so that you can get onto another 5-foot hexed map, well not hexed, but five foot squared map, and kill more stuff because otherwise, you know, what the hell else are your, uh, you know, class powers for? (sighs) Either way, um, so that was my introduction to 4th edition, um, and that's kind of what I've done with 4th edition in the meantime, just really, uh, really suffered through the combat system, which I'll talk about later. I really want to talk about it now, but let's let's proceed, you know, in a uh, in an orderly fashion here, and hopefully we'll get to the part where I swear a lot really soon. Well, um, introduction to uh, fourth edition, basically uh, looking at it as a you know a first look for someone who might be unfamiliar to the hobby. It feels very video video gamey. Obviously, the uh, the concept of class powers the concept of, um, you know, regular progression where you get, you know, updates and feats, uh, the balance of um, GMs for, uh, for creating combat encounters, uh, basically even the, uh, even the pacing of games where you're told to, you know, space out a, you know, an easy encounter, a diff- you know, a moderate encounter before your really difficult encounter to, you know, make sure that players have had the opportunity to expend some of their more, uh, more powerful abilities um, you know, maybe panic them enough to uh, to uh, to pop a daily, um, and hopefully whittle down some of their healing surges to make them feel really nervous about what they're going to be doing. In any case, um, so yes, uh, fourth edition feels very video gamey compared to other more sophisticated uh, role playing games. Um, it definitely, in its favor, uh, it gets the fantasy aspect across quite quickly. You know this is a game about Dungeons and Dragons, not just because of the title, not just because of the races or the classes. It's, you know, right away you're finding out that you have this in lockpick or you have this ability that lets you, you know, hit someone and knock them back. Let's just say that it, you know, you're... you're basically immersed in the concept of what you're going to be doing for your entire 4th edition career very shortly after you start um, creating your character. Um, and again, so much precedence is given to the combat system, it's almost ridiculous. Uh, characterization is in... It's basically a simplification of the 3.5 mechanics, and uh, if I do want to give it a, um, a positive note, which, you know, will partially balance what I'm about to say in a few minutes. 
the offerings for um, pregens, well, not really pregens, but for sort of helping sculpt a character, uh, they're very useful for uh, for getting new players into the game. Where you know you let them, <clears throat> you basically it's sectioned off so that you see class or you see race, you see class, and then after classes is the twenty or thirty pages of uh, class powers. However, um, you know, you look at classes, they give you options or they give you suggestions for what, uh, or you look at races and they give you suggestions for what classes they would be best at. So, you know, you can start saying by saying, hey, I want to be an elf. And then they'll say, okay, well, if you want to be an elf, elves are really good at being wizards or rangers or et cetera, et cetera. And then you can just say, okay, well, then I guess I'm going to be a a elf ranger. And then you skip to the ranger section. And then the ranger says, well, um, if you're a ranger, you really want to focus on, for your stats, you really want to focus on either your strength or your dexterity, depending on the type of ranger you want to be. And then, you know, so when you're allocating uh, attribute points for... uh, for your character, uh, you can say, okay, well, I'm an elf, and that already gives a bonus to dexterity, so I'm going to allocate all of my points to dexterity, giving me a 20 dexterity and a plus 5 bonus, and <clears throat> that makes it so that my ranger attacks, uh, that are ranged attacks, are super freaking powerful, like crazy. And then, you know, you have the other option, or then you have, you know, further uh, descriptions where it says, well, if you want to be this type of ranger, you know, you can choose this feat and these powers and this um, class type, I guess, I forget what it's called because I don't really care to look it up, but basically builds your character for you, gives you the powers that you're going to be using, and basically, you know, shunts you off to the equipment equipment section where, you know, you pretty much already know what you're going to be getting. So, you know, that's kind of a plus in its favor. So if you really need to create pregens really quickly, you can just go with, you know, the basic flowchart for the uh, for the various races and classes, and you can come up with a variety of characters very swiftly, and that carries through basically all the player's handbooks and the um, setting guides, so that's kind of a help, if not somewhat handholdy and slightly insulting to anyone who really knows how to create a character or wants to create um, something original, which is kind of a complaint that I have regarding the uh, the focused ability scores for various classes, is that uh, it really encourages min-maxing, which discourages having a variety of characters that seem interesting, but at the same time, it's all about the combat, which, yeah. <sighs> Alright, well, game pit, <laughs> gameplay. Uh, moving on to that. Um, well, when you're designing a game in 4th edition as a GM, it's all about challenges. Um, 90, well, maybe about 70% of those will be uh, combat challenges. Uh, if you are very clever and, you know, you don't mind, or if you're not clever and you don't mind reusing, like, a variety of, like, six or seven types of trap, um, you can create skill challenges, which... Um, as I mentioned before, will eventually boil down to one character doing everything and all the other characters doing nothing or drowning or making death rolls or making saving throws. So what I'm trying to say is that skill challenges are stupid in 4th edition. Um, you know, if you are if you have a good ability to, uh, obviously, to combine skill and combat challenges together, you know, good on you, but chances are... Um, your skill challenges are going to be, um, well, essentially if you're combining skill challenges and combat challenges, 
it's likely your players are going to focus on the combat aspect of the challenge first, because even if you're a um, trap disarming rogue, you are a trap disarming rogue that does a hell of a lot of damage, and the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons are designed, or fourth edition, are designed that there are four types of uh, of fighter characters. You have, you know, the tank. I think they're called the defender. You have the striker, who is high damage. You have the controller, uh, who is basically the uh, a wizard who casts buffs and debuffs, and then you have the leader, who is the healer. Um, so, let's say that you have a, uh, a skill challenge combined with a combat challenge that you don't want to be a complete pushover for the people who aren't doing the skill challenge. So you throw in a monster that has more than one hit point, basically a non-minion. Well, in that case, uh, the non-minion is going to be pounding on your uh, defender, your tank, while your controller tries to get a debuff on him or tries to buff your other players, uh, so they whittle down his hit points. However, um, what you really want is your uh, DPS, your rogue, to be in there to take him out really quickly, and that's what your rogue's going to want to do because he doesn't have flank and ba backstab, and he didn't get um, well, he didn't get the feet backstab that increases his sneak attack dice from d6s to d8s, just so he could sit in the background and fiddle with a lock and try to roll higher than you know like a 16 to disarm something. When you know if he really wants to kill that thing, all he has to do is roll like a 12. So. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's very few situations that I found when I was running the game that players wanted to combine or split their uh, split their skills between a uh, combat uh, encounter and a skill encounter, uh, especially because the first rule of Fourth Edition Dungeons and Dragons is don't split the party, and that doesn't just mean don't split the party in terms of you know. Uh, don't, you go in this room, I go in that room. This is more in the terms of everyone uses the focus fire technique to take take down enemies as swiftly as possible because one enemy down means one less enemy that is there to hit you on your next turn. And oh my god, let's just... God, we're almost talking about combat and we're almost there. So, uh, <clears throat> in addition to, uh, to skill challenges and combat challenges, you also have role-playing, which... I don't remember ever reading anything regarding role-playing tips in a 4th edition's core book. Ever. Ever, ever. Uh, let's see. Uh, everyone was... I'm, I'm sure there there was fluff. There was just never any how-to, which kind of uh, seemed odd to me, because, um, well, technically, I believe 4th edition was kind of, uh, uh, in my opinion, in my, uh, you know... Uh, you know, there's a conspiracy going on here sort of thing. Uh, Wizards of the Coast was trying to court the Wargamer slash uh, MMO player with 4th edition where, you know, everything is on a miniature's board and there are powers that, you know, have a quote-unquote cooldown. And so if you're trying to court, you know, new players into a role-playing game, why would you not uh, write a little bit about how to role-play? No? Not even a little bit? I guess not. Oh, sigh. So... That was a serious oversight of them. And um, so I didn't really know what role-playing was when I first started playing 4th edition. I knew how to talk to merchants, and I knew how to ask people how quests, uh, or like what quests were around, but I didn't know how to interact with the environment in a way that created story rather than drove me towards the next combat encounter, which, all right, well, let's talk about fucking combat. Alright, um, well, 
starting off, uh, obviously the first thing that you're really going to see when creating a character, um, this is not me reversing back to character creation, this is me talking about the class power system. At the start of the game, when you're first level character, uh, every player has two to three at-will powers, an encounter power, a daily power, a racial power. Um, and this, just so you note, is not counting the uh, basic melee or ranged attacks, which are not listed in the uh, character class or race sections. You actually have to look in the combat rules section to find out that there is the possibility for a person to just swing a sword or shoot a bow uh, without having any sort of ancillary effect. No, um, because no one ever fucking used the uh, basic melee or ranged attack ever, 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 ever. Um, however... Um, you know, that's, that's not exactly, um, where it stopped either, because, you know, when you leveled up, you got more powers. And when you started replacing powers, you got to the point where you entered Paragon tier, and you get three more powers there. Uh, I believe that's between 10th and 13th level, you get three more powers. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Um, and then once you get up to Epic tier, uh, you get more powers. So, you know, looking optimistically, uh, lowballing even, uh, you're probably looking between 10 and 12 powers once you reach level 30, and that's just from leveling up. Now, if you uh, start acquiring magic items, because God, who doesn't want to get magic items in a uh, fantasy role-playing game? Well, some of those come with powers too. And uh, for every tier of character you are, uh, you can use one more magic power a day. So say once you get to level you know, 20, which is where you start epic level tier, uh, you have three item powers that you can use per day, which, you know, ups you quite significantly, especially when everything is some sort of trigger with item powers. But, you know, that's not all. Because you also, um, well, if you really, um, really want to piss off your DM, like really, really piss off your DM, uh, you can uh, multi-class. You can take the multi-class feat, and you can get even more goddamn fucking powers. Oh my god, what the hell is wrong with you people? <sighs> Jesus. Um, why are powers bad? Oh god, why are powers not bad, for fuck's sake? All right. Um, so because of this class, race, cl cross-class, paragon, epic, item, power system, as well as the underlying necessity of using uh, miniatures and a grid, uh, you're looking at a combination of players looking at the largest hand of poker that they've ever seen, uh, figuring out the uh, importance of using each of those powers, uh, and then basically trying to play chess at the same time. Because um, if you've ever played chess with someone who is not playing speed chess or really good at reading ahead and you know picking a strategy, uh, basically you know that chess is a game where one person does something and then one person does another thing, and then uh, after like six moves, it takes a person five minutes to choose what they're going to do next in the chess match after someone moves. Well, multiply that by between three and six, because not only are you moving, but your GM is moving enemies, and there are usually more than one enemy for your GM to move unless you're fighting some sort of solo creature, which causes its own sorts of problems because of how many hit points it has, but not only... There's, there's a multitude of GM enemies who he has to look up powers for because fuck you is why. Um, then there's your other players who have to um, figure out what powers they're going to use on their turn. And if you do a move that impugns or infringes or modifies one of the powers that they were going to use, they have to recalculate and reassociate where they're going to use their power, if they're going to use their power. If they're not going to use their power, they're going to use another power. Let's continue with that. So... 
uh, between three and five players if you're not trying to kill yourself actively, DM. Um, think about that with, um, with playing in the fourth edition combat system. You have five players, each of whom have already made some sort of tactic decision before the first dice roll is even made. Uh, and then the first dice roll is made, an initiative comes out, and then you have a 10 to 15 minute conversation about exactly who is going to do what, exactly what bonuses are going to happen, exactly who is going to be blinded, who is going to be com- or who's going to be flanked, who is going to get combat advantage, exactly what combat advantage means in the uh, in this particular situation. Because uh, when rogues go first in combat, they already have combat advantage, and that gives them the ability to sneak attack if they hit. But maybe they need a bonus to hit which your leader will do. However, that will mean that um, perhaps one or two enemies go first, so maybe the rogue just wants to um, you know, take the chance and go with that. However, instead of being a 30-second uh, discussion, that is a five-minute conversation that you will never get back. You never get that those five minutes back, guys. Fuck that so much. Oh my god. Um, and that's just, that's just the first round of combat. That's not even when uh, people get hurt and they need healing surges or... They need to predict when they're going to hit, get hit so that the healer can cast something that protects them, or the healer needs to, uh, basically the healer needs to decide whether or not he's going to cast healing on himself, or on someone else, or on someone who really needs it, or on someone who's down, and then, oh my god, the best thing that will ever happen to you as a DM oh, is TPKing a party, because all they can do is roll once on their turn, and combat goes by so fast, you will feel like you are on speed, I swear to god. Oh, <sighs> In any case, combat in 4th edition, really fucking terrible. Takes goddamn forever. Jesus fucking Christ. And that's, <clears throat> that is bare bonesing it, not even talking about monster powers that have the, you know, that have triggers or that can, um, that can recharge on a roll of a 5 or a 6. And of course, because when you're rolling, when you're running like six different types of monsters, you're going to absolutely remember to roll a 5 or a 6 every round to recharge your dragon's fire breath because that's high on your importance over perhaps just getting over to your next plot point, which is what I'd like to talk about next um, regarding um, the structure of a D&D 4th edition session is that with these super fucking long combats, um, you need to space enough out or create something so difficult because um, otherwise you're going to have either A, if you don't create enough uh, combat encounters, you're going to have players who are going into the one combat encounter you have for the day with every single one of their super overpowered powers, um, encounters, dailies, item powers, racial powers, etc. Um, and basically they're going to mop the floor with whatever, you know, quote-unquote difficult encounter you just put in front of them. Or you're going to um, try to, you know, whittle them down with multiple combats. However, com- any combat in Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition that doesn't consist entirely of minions is going to take at least one possibly three hours not joking um so uh if you go with the uh traditional um formula for uh for fourth edition dungeons and dragons where uh you are instructed to create three combat encounters to try to will down your player's powers for that one big combat encounter at the end that is nine fucking hours of combat at least nine hours and you're not even looking at you know trying to somehow fucking fit role-playing in there because, of course, that's really important in a goddamn role-playing game. No? 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 I I really think so. And I'm sounding crazy because I'm talking to myself. In any case, Jesus Christ. (sighs) 
All right. Um, so I've spent a good amount of time um, talking about how terrible, how much I hate uh, fourth edition's combat, and I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't denigrate the system as if it's uh, some kind of anathema to role playing. Uh, it's obviously not. Um, in my Dark Sun campaign, I did have some sessions that were actually very interesting in a role playing sense. However, um, my point stands that, um, or rather, I would like to make the point that I've seen um, made inadvertently in very many uh, discussions regarding why 4th edition can be a role-playing system. And that argument is that despite what it says or in the book, or the lack of what it says in the book, um, you can role-play just about anything. And um, obviously, yes, if you're an experienced player or um, someone who actually is entering into you know, the hobby with the intent of learning how to roleplay, you can obviously roleplay just about anything. You can completely ignore the uh, the conceit that you only get experience through uh, challenge ratings in combats or in skill challenges. However, for someone who would be new to the system, new to the hobby of roleplaying, uh, you know, as mentioned before, the courting of various multi- uh, MMO players slash wargamers, um, you don't have that previous conceit. You don't have that um, knowledge ingrained in you that you can uh, uh, that a GM can allocate experience for good role playing or for um, achieving plot points, rather than just assigning various stats and um, experience point bonuses to various enemies and challenges. So, yes, absolutely, um, Dungeons and Dragons Fourth ed- Edition is um, completely a game where if you wanted to, you could have absolutely no combat at all. However, the construction of the system, the construction of the core books, the construction of the rules, um, and just about every single supplement ever released for Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition, 100% absolutely, without question, indicates that it is absolutely meant to be a miniatures fighting game. You can't argue with that. That is basically what the entire system is makes itself out to be. Um, sorry if that, like, you really need to understand that that is what 4th edition is. They don't allocate more than half of a core book to, you know, combat powers. It's really just a question of informed playing through editing. You learn how to play based on what's put in front of you. And if what's put in front of you is rules for combat, you're going to run combat. Um, oh yes, uh, so David Larkins, my, uh, itinerant co-host, has, uh, recorded a few speak pipes. Uh, the first one that I'll play is actually the one he recorded last. It's, um, well, I'll let you listen to it. Okay, really quick. Um, so these last couple episodes, 4th edition D&D has come up a couple times, always in a negative light. And I was just wondering if Dave could talk a little bit. Um, he's promised us since the very beginning, uh, very first episode of this podcast, that um, he would do an epic rant on 4th edition one of these days. So A, I want to hear that. But B, I want to hear, um, as part of your rant, your opinion on whether you think there's any setting or campaign um, setup that would actually cater to... 4th edition's very peculiar um, aspects, um, the, the three-tiered um, advancement um, 
say, uh, sequence you go through, the uh, powers, the long combats, the highly sort of iconic nature of the game. Um, I'm sure there are campaign styles out there, not styles, but settings or ideas that would fit the mechanics of 4th edition perfectly, but I'm not thinking of any. Can you? Alright, that's my challenge. Hope to hear a response soon. Alright, um, so uh, how to um, uh, write a game or a system or a campaign that caters to uh, that caters to how uh, one would run a 4th edition game? Well, um, Obviously, uh, we've uh, we've already talked about um, you know homebrewing the shit, and I'm talking about homebrewing the hell out of the fourth edition rules. If you want to turn it into a game that um, can even possibly be run with uh, without the uh, the necessity for combat, uh, you would need to reallocate um, or just come up with on the fly experience uh, experience gains for, uh, you know, either role-playing or accomplishing of plots or the acquiring of treasure, you know, a throwback to the original Dungeons and Dragons. Um, or you, uh, modify the combat system in such a way that it's, um, either more streamlined or flows faster, or rather, um, probably the only way that I would even want to approach such, um, a terrible, terrible idea of, um, again, running a long-term 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons game would be uh, basically to create a uh, uh, some sort of campaign where, you know, it's focused around combat. Uh, so, you know, your players are gladiators or they're members of some sort of army um, or they have some other reason to fight. Maybe they're trying to be the very best uh, like no one ever was. Um, basically, you know, trying to figure out how to... Um, consistently introduce uh, tougher and tougher enemies, um, how to introduce t- uh, enemies in such a, uh, in such a backup lineup that uh, one would, um, you know, reasonably expect to see multiple combats per day uh, with, you know, ascending levels and difficulties of enemies uh, without, you know, the ability to have, you know, an eight hour rest in between, uh, in between combats. So I would say that probably that would, um, uh, I don't know. I, I would say that the, uh, I think the closest that's, um, that I would consider to being a quote unquote, uh, perfect, uh, campaign or, uh, setting concept for the, uh, for the fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons is actually the, uh, the Dungeon Delve, uh, release that, um, that was, I believe originally a, uh, a dungeon magazine, um, release, where essentially it's a bunch of um, convention games uh, that are just, you know, shoved into a book and, you know, laid out from, you know, uh, uh, from level to level, you know, starting with uh, level ones, going all the way up to level 30, uh, treating it like a, um, I don't know, treating it like some sort of like hero quest plot point system and not like hero quest RPG, but hero quest board game where the DM, you know, tells you, hey, this is sort of the backstory and you're in the start of the dungeon already and, you know, start killing skeletons. That's really kind of how I see, um, that's how I can only really see playing uh, fourth edition ever again is just in sort of like that hero quest, dragon strike, uh, descent 
type of situation where all you're presented with is a dungeon crawl. Um, you know, that's really it. Uh, you're, you're consistently in danger, so you can't take long rests. Um, and, you know, just feeding yourself to the game mechanics. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's what people want. That's, you know, that's a Sunday or, you know, a game night that people would like to spend. And, you know, sometimes even I would be interested in doing that. Uh, I can occasionally look at a fourth edition book and say, hey, it would be cool sometime if I were to try to play a, I don't know, a half-elf warden or something. Um, obviously, I think like more about that in terms of actual role-playing games where I like to have campaigns and plot and realize that that's a terrible goddamn idea and that I should be bad for thinking it. But um, obviously, there's uh, there are situations where you know it's really not a terrible idea to you know pull out a mindless game system. But really, if you're going if you're gonna pull out a mindless game system for dungeon crawling, uh, descent is a much better option because it doesn't have such insane, um, you know, rules lawyering required, uh, combat rules where you, you know, need to keep track of God knows how many modifiers and debuffs and penalties and auras and attacks of opportunity and reach abilities. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, let's, uh, if you, (laughs) you know, um, I would say that Dungeons and Dragons 4th Edition is only viable, in my current opinion, for people who are nostalgic for playing 4th Edition Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, You are few and far between. Um, Hopefully, if you're still playing 4th Edition, you, um, you know, I, more power to you if you have found a way to enjoy it. I am much happier in my own life having um, closed those books up in a box, which I may never open until I decide to sell them or loot them for campaign ideas in much better, more uh, role-playing type systems. But, um, you know, you, you never really, uh, you never really knock the way another guy swings. So, um, if you were, you know, slightly offended or, um, you know, found good responses to anything that I've said here, uh, good for you. Uh, you've found a way to enjoy a, uh, a gaming system that I can no longer really even trick myself into believing that I will enjoy anymore. So, um, good on you. And that, uh, well, this concludes about 45 minutes of myself, um, just utterly talking shit about Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition. So, uh, yeah. Also, um, uh, David Larkins, uh, my occasional co-host has also, uh, recorded a couple of other speak pipe, um, recordings for us. So I will uh, play those now. They are regarding um, our most recent session, uh, campaign building and, uh, or our most recent sessions, campaign building and mapping. So here those are. Hello, this is erstwhile contributor David Larkins calling in with a comment. Uh, Kind of a follow-up to the last two episodes on maps and mapping and open world gaming. Um, just wanted to throw in my own two cents regarding um, hex maps and uh, sandbox style play. Susan mentioned uh, that she remembered an old supplement, and what she was remembering was the Wilderlands of High Fantasy, and that is a hex by hex um, world uh, map and description where each hex, uh, or almost every hex, is keyed with uh, descriptions of the inhabitants in that hex, but very brief, so that it's kind of a starting point for the GM. 
and the players are given a map that's almost entirely blank that is kind of a fog of war thing that they can fill in as they explore it. So uh, that just seemed to touch on a couple things you guys were talking about, so I wanted to contribute that as well as mention dungeon geomorphs, which are a great way to create a quick dungeon map. So um, dungeon geomorphs and wilderlands of high fantasy. Check them out. I wanted to add one more point from the maps and mapping episode, which is that I think that um, something you guys didn't touch on, but that I like to see with maps is maps as a player handout rather than a GM tool. So, uh, of course, there's like handing out a treasure map, but there's also the idea of having players create a map of the dungeon or a map of, you know, the wilderness based off of their own explorations, but have that map be an actual physical artifact. So you designate which character is carrying that map and doing the mapping. And if you're not making copies of it and that character gets disintegrated or falls down a chasm or you know, is consumed in a dragon's breath or whatever, your map goes away, you have to hand it over the, to the GM and start all over again. So that's a, a fun little thing you can do with, uh, with maps um, that uh, I've used in the past and uh, always to great effect. All right, and uh, last but not least, we have, uh, well, the usual session of Campaign Pipe Dreams. Um, obviously there's, uh, not really too many other people around to talk about these right now. So, um, I will, uh, well, um, I was recently talking and by recently, I mean about, um, an hour ago before I started talking about, uh, fourth edition, um, I was on the privateer press website and they created a new miniature for the Trollblood army. Um, it is a female, uh, Trollblood outlaw who, uh, oh god, the sculpt looks amazing, and I will have, um, I will have the link for it up in the show notes, but, um, yes, I was, I was discussing this with Susan and saying, you know, I would really, um, I would really consider running a, um, you know, a wilderness-type Iron Kingdoms, um, you know, Hordes, uh, IK RPG game, where, you know, instead of being, you know, city-spanning, it's, you know, living on the uh, fringes of society and, you know, um, delving through forests and ruins and, um, you know, supplying armies possibly and scouting for armies, uh, maybe even incorporating some of the, uh, some of the mass combat rules from, uh, the Iron Kingdoms or the War Machine game where, you know, you're playing, uh, I was, uh, uh, ever since I was playing in Susan's, uh, Iron Kingdoms RPG, uh, actual game, uh, there was, you know, the always that possibility of stepping into like a squad of um, of soldiers in a uh, in a larger, you know, conflict like a skirmish, and you know there are of course there are indeed rules for um, uh, for you know leader characters in um, in uh, War Machine where uh, that are not you know specifically the leaders of the army or even you know special um, you know special unit leader or solos. But actual, you know, like uh, actual leaders of various troops, where if you um, say if your leader dies, basically the next unit down is promoted. So you could probably use that as some kind of uh, some kind of gauge for um, 
you know, for keeping your main characters alive when their squad starts to get decimated, where, you know, instead of your main character taking the hit, uh, one of the, uh, one of the under soldiers, you know, gets hit or something. So that's always a possibility. And, um, I would absolutely love to, uh, to try to run something Iron Kingdom sometime because, you know, that's just a great setting. Uh, it's, it's just so vibrant with the, uh, you know, with the inner and obviously outer conflicts. So I think that, yeah, my campaign pipe dream would indeed be, uh, something in the vein of running a, um, a hordes based, uh, Iron Kingdom RPG, uh, game focusing probably on the Trollbloods, um, maybe even, well, no, I would say probably the Trollbloods. They're, they're a hell of a lot of fun. So yeah, um, gosh, that, uh, that puts us at the end of, uh, end of our episode. Uh, if you have gotten this far all the way to the end, still listening and not, you know, ripping your hair out at all the, um, rambling and swearing and, um, just utter insanity of me talking to myself about fourth edition, I promise I will never, well, I won't say that I'll never talk about fourth edition again because it's, it's like some sort of, um, compulsion or, you know, a, a mental disorder where I just start shouting out terrible things about Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition. It's like I have D&D 4E Tourette's or something. So, um, again, my name is David Schimpf. Thank you for, uh, for listening even a little bit if you listened. And I uh, will see you next week with uh, Susan Stewart yet again where we can talk about saner things. Have a good one. just as a reminder to our listeners, we here at Unabashed Gaming love to hear from you. Head over to www.unabashedgaming.blogspot.com and leave us a comment, or call our Lake Geneva, Wisconsin voicemail number 262-729-9774. We also have a SpeakPipe link on our blog page. You can leave us a message directly through your computer's microphone or headset. Comments, questions, topic ideas, whatever you want to share with us, all is welcome. We hope to hear from you soon. Thanks.